This is the new LOL podcast, and I am Karen Stewart. My goal is to challenge you, motivate, and encourage you to live your life boldly as a Christian out loud. Do me a favor. If you find anything of value, any motivation, any encouragement, help me spread the word like this. Share it on all your channels. And thanks for listening. Let's get started. There is a guy called Craig Rochelle. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he wrote a book called The Christian Atheist, Believing in God but Living as If He Doesn't Exist. And as I understand it, he was a pastor or is a pastor who had an epiphany that he was professing faith in God but still living as if everything was up to him. Now, I must confess, I have never read this book, and that actually happens to me often. I can spend lengthy amounts of time in bookstores reading cover after cover of books and leave with very few, because I don't actually need to read the book to hear God. I can't tell you how many times that I've read nothing but a title of a book and clearly heard God speak to me in one manner or another, and this was one of those times. I didn't need to read the book about being a Christian atheist, although I would imagine from all the positive reviews that it'd probably be well worth the read. But I didn't need to read it because I immediately knew that that was exactly how I was living my life. I recognized that that was my problem, at least one of them. (laughs) And I immediately felt convicted that something needed to be done about it. You may not be able to relate, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit of my story. Without question, there are some absolutely wild stories in the Bible, and I talk about them all the time, right? And a cursory or superficial reading can often leave you scratching your head and wondering how in the world did something like that happen? You got people falling into trances a man getting lifted up by his hair and suspended in midair, as Ezekiel, creatures full of eyes, demons and dragons, the ground opening up and swallowing a whole family, fire coming down from heaven on the strength of one man's word, that was Elijah, a man who outran a chariot that was pulled by horses, a path through the sea of water appearing, For long enough for several hundred thousand people, some people say a million people, to walk through on dry ground. A dead man who wasn't just dead and buried, but his body was decaying and stinking. This is Lazarus. And he comes back to life. I mean, like, really, there's some wild stuff in the Bible. And over the years, I've always been intrigued by what Christians believe and do not believe about God and about the Bible, right? So there are some people that believe that God does not heal. If you have a disease, an affliction, an addiction, the only way that that can be remedied is by medication or some kind of of treatment, right? Medical treatment. There are some people who believe that God does not actually speak to human beings anymore. 
There's some people who believe that the gifts of the Spirit no longer exist. They're not for today. There's some people who believe that if you are a, a living, breathing human being, that's the only requirement. If you die, you're going to heaven. Some people think that prayer looks a certain way, that worship looks a certain way. Some people believe that there's only certain people who are qualified to preach or teach. Some people believe that there are other people who are never qualified to preach or teach. And many of these differences have led to doctrinal divisions that have led to the rise of thousands of Christian denominations worldwide. And all of those denominations allegedly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was born to a virgin mother and was crucified and then buried and resurrected. I think that's about the safest place to draw the line where all the so-called Christian denominations believe the same thing. Everything after that is 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 subject to 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 like debate. And it's interesting to note that for about the first thousand years after Christ, there really was only one so-called group of Christ followers. So since then, the last thousand years, all of this diversity has evolved. And this is not a post about who's right, who's wrong. And, and no matter where you fall in that sea of division or diversity, depending on how you look at it, the greater question really is, what do you actually believe about God? A.W. Tozer said in his book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And whether you believe that or not, it is certain that what we believe about God will dictate how we choose to live our lives. And so for me, when I looked at the choices that I'd made, the stress that I felt to perform and make it happen, the fear that I felt that God may not do what I thought he said, if he actually said it at all, my inability or my unwillingness to believe what the Bible says, and all the cavalier things that I have said and done with no thought of, at all about how it would be perceived by God or potentially even make him feel. When I thought about all those things, it made my grand professions of faith seem very shallow. It made my great, deep relationship with God seem very superficial. My true love for the God that I like to say my allegiance and loyalty was pledged to, it seemed like a farce. I like to say that I love Jesus, and, and I even had a few spiritual encounters, but the truth was I really, really didn't trust him. My obedience was very fleeting and very inconsistent and intermittent. It was based on my own comfort, my own peace. I was willing to do things that would not make me feel uncomfortable, not make me look foolish, or things that I actually wanted to do. Outside of that, everything was pretty much optional. I defended myself at all times because I did not believe that vengeance truly belonged to God and that he would repay any evil or wrong done to me. I robbed God in my giving because I did not believe that he would supply all my needs according to his riches in, in, in glory. I did not believe that everything that I had came from him. Or I did not believe that he would judge and discipline unjust people who took advantage of me and my generosity. I exalted my own perceptions of pleasure and enjoyment above godliness and righteousness because it was what I wanted to do. 
And I made those choices and decisions with no real concern at all for the God that I verbally and outwardly projected to serve. And I finally reached a point where it was time for me to have my own proverbial come to Jesus moment. I had to face the dichotomy between my words and my language and my actual life. Because if I ever really knew him and loved him, how could I ever, why would I ever not trust him? There are people that I know that on the strength of their word, I will do pretty much anything just because they said that they would do something in return. I mean, listen, I've done that for perfect strangers. I've gone to a job not knowing who the person was, if they had money to pay me or not. They told me if I worked for two weeks or a month and they would pay me at the end of it, I took them at their word, worked for them in obedience like a trained animal with nothing in my pocket on the strength of their word. And yet when it came down to believing God would do what he said, how was it possible that I didn't believe him or didn't trust him? I realized that I was talking a good game, but that was all it was, really, was talk. I realized that I didn't actually know Jesus at all. And if I didn't know him, how was it possible that I could love him the way I like to say that I did? I knew a ton of things about him, but I did not actually know him. And I couldn't love someone that I didn't know, and I couldn't trust somebody that I didn't know. So at the root of all of my fears, all of my doubt, all of my disobedience was the inconvenient truth that I did not actually know the God that I claimed to serve. It was shocking. It was confusing. And it was painful. But it was also a turning point. And from that point on, I stopped trying to trust and believe and have faith in God. I stopped trying to be obedient. I stopped trying to live a life that was pleasing to God. And I decided that I was going to devote all of my attention and all of my energy to just one thing, just knowing him. It seemed to me like all of my challenges pointed to my deficiency in that one area. Because if I truly knew him and truly loved him, I would obey him. If I truly knew him and truly loved him, I would believe him. If I truly knew him, I would love him. And it would matter to me how my actions and words would look and sound to him and they would change. If I truly knew him, I would love him and I would want him and him alone and to please him alone more than any other thing on earth. And so I set out to do that very thing, just to know him, just to love him, and just to obey him. I got tired of making excuses for the mediocre life that I had to admit that I was living, that was void of love, that was void of power, that was void of anything that looked like what I saw and what I believed in the word of God. And let me be clear. The closer I get to him, the more I want of him. And I am nowhere near where I want to be. And I feel like I get it wrong more than I get it right, and even in my own eyes. But I have watched him over these last two years slowly begin to turn the big ship of my heart around to face him and behold him in a way that I never even considered before.
I've watched him begin to conform my will to his. I've watched him as he has slowly transformed my heart to see things the way he sees them. And it all started when I stopped trying to do and be and change. And I started only trying to do one thing, to know him and pursue him so that I could truly love him. There's this old song that goes, focus your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I'm telling you, it's the truth. I have slowly begun to see that very thing take place in my life. And I know that it's made me a little less relatable to some people because I'm just not interested in a lot of things that consume other people's time and minds and thoughts. I get it, but it's okay. Because the focus and the goal of my life has changed. I want a life that makes other people see him and want him. I want a life that demonstrates the love and authority and the power that he is in me. I want a life that is a worthwhile reward for his suffering. I want a life that does not just talk about him and about being devoted to him. I want a life that demonstrates it. And now clearly, this whole post is my story. You may not be able to relate to any part of it, which is fine. And if you can say, I don't have any problem believing God or obeying God or knowing God or loving God, or if you say this is probably a good message for somebody else to hear, then I'm definitely not talking to you. But if you heard anything at all that made you feel or know in your heart, there is more and I want it, then I want to encourage you to go for it. It is not your ministry, your service, your busyness that he's after. The only thing he's ever wanted is your heart, and he only wants to reveal himself to you. Let's face it, people work hard in ministry and in serving, not because they love him at all, but because they are afraid of the consequences that they will get if they disobey him or if they don't serve him. They don't really do it out of love. They do it out of fear or selfishness because they want blessing in return. And many of us have trouble believing things we read and see in the Bible because of experience, either ours or someone else's. We don't believe in healing because when we were sick, we prayed and didn't get better. We don't believe in God's provision because we have crushing debt, more going out than coming in, and we prayed and nothing seems to change. We don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit because someone told us they didn't exist. And all of it seems weird anyway. I get it. All I'm saying is, don't define God based on what you have or have not seen in your life. Let him show you who he is. And as you devote some focused attention to really getting to know him and nothing else, you may very well be surprised. This whole relationship with God thing may look very different from what you've always thought of knowing to be. I can tell you that's what happened to me. And soon, you may find your life to speak louder than your words as he starts to draw people to himself through you. People are watching you anyway, you know? Um, there are people who are making decisions right now about who they think God is just by what they see in us. In one way, all of us already live our lives out loud because the way that we live speaks way louder than our words already. So I want to challenge you to make sure that the narrative of your life draws people to him. Let's make sure that our lives as Christ followers, as lovers of Jesus, are on display boldly every day out loud.